Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. I know you heard my interview there with the head of the BC Road Builders Association. These guys are super busy right now, especially trying to get that Coquihalla reopened. And it sounds like they've made some amazing progress. Sounds like they made amazing progress. Again, look at the footage we've been showing on Global of that uh, broken uh, Coquihalla. And Kelly Scott talking about stitching it back together, yeah, which is a, an interesting turn of phrase, and it does describe what's happening. There are more than twenty areas of the highway are severely damaged, five bridges wiped out, uh, and again, he's talked about the weather it is becoming a factor. So, uh, again, if we get a really bad snow dump in some of these areas, I would be very surprised if we're going to open by early January, but it's very uh, much more optimistic than we saw just in the aftermath of the storm. Okay, here's Transportation Minister Rob Fleming talking about this yesterday and when the Coquihalla could reopen. We initially targeted that to be open by the end of January. Last week, we moved that target up a couple of weeks to early January. <clears throat> and now, thanks to the determination of crews who are going 24-7 at it in terms of the repair work, we expect to be able to open up even earlier than that. So earlier than early January. I mean, that's like next week. Isn't Christmas. It? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to get a detailed briefing tomorrow uh, from uh, Transformation Ministry officials of just uh, how much work has been done, how much work has yet to come. And again, these are repairs. These aren't necessarily permanent fixes. So in terms of uh, recreational travel, again, talking to Fleming, no indication we're going to see recreational travel anytime soon. This is commercial vehicles, but it might take some pressure off Highway 3. Well, that's the thing. Like, if they can get the Coquihalla open to commercial traffic, could they open up, um, you know, non-essential travel on Highway 3? Yeah, well, one yeah. assumes that's what would follow because there's yeah. no other route for anyone to travel into right. the interior. Highway 3 is a tricky highway. Yeah. It uh, can be difficult driving, a lot of twists and turns there. The Coke is fairly straight. Or at least the turns aren't sharp and, and severe, but uh, and it's got some elevation issues where you get more snow on the coke. But uh, yeah, one assumes if if the trucks can start moving on the coke, and again, we don't know if it's going to be single lane either way or if it's going to be alternating lanes. That decision is yet to be reached. Okay, Mike Farnworth, the public safety minister, yesterday announcing that the gas rationing restrictions uh, being lifted effective today. So if you go to the gas station today, you can just fill her up. No more 30-liter limit. Here's what Farnworth had to say about that yesterday. I can confirm today that the fuel restriction order in place since November 19th will be lifted tomorrow, December 14th. This measure has been effective in maintaining a steady supply of gas for public use while ensuring our essential service vehicles have priority access to what they need to do. Your thoughts? No surprise. I mean, once the, once the Trans Mountain Pipeline became operational again, it was just a matter of time that before these, this rationing would end. So we're basically uh, back to normal. He also extended the state of emergency to December yeah. 28th, I believe. Again, I, the joke is, you know, when he doesn't declare this, uh, when he doesn't extend the state of emergency, that'll be a news item because that'll be that'll show we're in a in a much safer place than we are right now. Right? Was there a need to put in that thirty limit gas fill up limit at at all? I mean, you know, it seemed yeah, to it question. seemed to work. Yeah, you it, know. yeah, and again, we saw the sort of long lineups at the pumps at the before the rationing was actually in place. Uh, once yeah. the rationing went in place, they didn't see a lot of long lineups. But I think there was a bit of panic buying at the very beginning when people realized the pipeline's down. No guarantee it was going to be up and running. So that's when you saw the long lineups. But again, anecdotally, not a lot of panic buying or, or anger at the pumps once the rationing was in place. Okay, let's talk about the pandemic for a minute. Like, So the Omicron variant of the virus showing up in Canada in greater numbers, more so it seems in eastern Canada than here right now, but it's showing up here too, right? 
We had 10 cases as of last fr- uh, Thursday. I assume we're going we're to get an update today at 1.30 from Dr. Marty Henry on some modeling of where we're potentially headed when it comes to COVID-19. It's very interesting. I find it fascinating that our case numbers are going down. Our hospitalizations have dropped dramatically. ICU numbers are going down. Deaths are going down. But exactly the opposite situation in Ontario and Quebec and much of the northeast part of the United States. Washington State today, the University of Washington researchers reporting that the variant there, uh, the Omicron, has gone from 7% of the cases to 13% of the cases in just a, a matter of days. So that it's the doubling factor of Omicron that people are, are concerned about. It starts out small, but then it doubles in numbers in just a couple of days. And if you just look at, work it on a pen and paper, start doubling two and see how fast that gets to the, be the dominant case numbers. So Delta is still very much the dominant by far the dominant variant in BC. That's what's getting people sick is the Delta variant. But Omicron is coming. Okay, here is uh, Dr. Teresa Tam, Canada's National Medical Health Office, here talking about Omicron yesterday. Have a listen. We have learned that it is a highly transmissible or certainly have a great spread potential. So what we're seeing in Ontario, um, I expect to be seen in other areas of the country as has been seen in Europe and other areas of the world. Yeah, so we'll see if that's reflected in the modeling released today from Dr. Henry at 1.30 of whether we anticipate what Teresa Tam's talking about is that Omicron will become the dominant variant very quickly. The good news is so far, the evidence is it leads to less severe outcomes of illness uh, with, with Omicron versus the Delta variant and far fewer hospitalizations. So fingers crossed that that's going to be the case. Okay, let's talk about this crazy story with Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum now facing this criminal charge of uh, public mischief. So this story is just wild. <laughs> and we learned yesterday, we finally get confirmation from Surrey City Hall that Surrey City taxpayers are indeed paying for the guy's legal bills. And he's hired a lawyer that I understand, he does, this guy does not come cheap, Richard McCallum. Peck. Richard Peck. Well-known, um, well-known uh, criminal lawyer. He's been a special <laughs> prosecutor, and he's had some very high-profile uh, clients. Wasn't he Meng Wanzhou's he lawyer? He was. He was one of them. Wow. Uh, so it's uh, always the issue. Uh, politicians charge should, who pays their legal fees. Um, now, you can argue in the course, if it's in the carrying out of your duties as an elected official, your, your fees should be covered. You're I mean, indemnified. You're indemnified. Now, in this case, Doug McCallum was shopping. Was that part of his duties? Who knows? But that's the policy well, in Surrey, and I, I suspect that's the policy in other municipalities. It's certainly the policy in the provincial government as well. Well, of course, this all goes back to September when uh, McCallum had a confrontation with some people who were collecting signatures on a petition in a parking lot outside of Save on Foods, a supermarket, and he, he was not happy about it and apparently had a, con- a, a confrontation with a woman driving a Ford Mustang. And uh, now here's what he had to say. So let's go back to September, and here is what McCallum had to say at that time of what happened here. As she she pulled out and, and turned right, she clipped my knee and, and my bottom leg and then ran over my foot at the same time and then took off. McCallum told us he did his grocery shopping, went to the hospital, then spoke to the RCMP. They asked me if I wanted to lay charges, and I said yes. Okay, global reporter Catherine Urquhart there, her voice there as well. So, you so know, Catherine, he, Catherine's broken all this, all the, the meat of the story here. Yeah. So that interview she had with him was part of the investigation. The police came to our station with uh, an order, court order, and obtained an unedited copy of that of that um, that interview. Catherine's also reported there's surveillance tapes out in the parking lot that's going to play a role here. So uh, uh, Richard Fowler, the uh, special prosecutor, made it, uh, made the decision to press the charge. 
one assumes looking at this evidence, our unedited tape of the interview with Catherine did with Doug McCallum and the surveillance cameras in the parking lot. Well, the security surveillance video could be, I think, likely will be crucial here. Yeah. I mean, what is the tape? What does it show on the tape? You know, and, and the woman who was uh, McCallum alleged that did this. Uh, denied it, and she put out a statement saying that, yeah, she had an argument with the guy, and she t she told McCallum he should resign, and then, but she says, look, I never hit him with my car. It's so. it's it's bizarre, and it's Surrey politics. Yeah, but you know the the thing about the indemnification, like taxpayers paying for McCallum's lawyer, like in in British Columbia politics, which which we're both familiar with, they have a similar policy. Mm -hmm. So if you land in some kind of legal jeopardy or a jam. In the course of your duties as a politician, the taxpayers will indemnify you. They will pay your legal bills. Now, here's the wrinkle. Unless you're found guilty, okay, and then you're supposed to pay the legal, the legal fees back, mm -hmm. which doesn't always happen. Doesn't always happen. Well, we haven't had very many cases of act uh, people actually uh, being guilty. We had the most, you know, most recent one was the BC Rail trial, which dragged on for years with the two uh, Dave Bassey and Bob Verk yeah, ended up pleading guilty, and part of the deal was they didn't pay their uh, legal fees. Right, because they had an indemnification deal. Taxpayers were paying for these lawyers, these two civil servants who got mixed up in this BC Rail scandal. They ended up pleading guilty, but part of the plea bargain was they didn't have to pay mm -hmm. back the money. And it was, by the way, $6 million, okay? Mm -hmm. That's how much their legal bills will. Now, I don't think that, hopefully McCallum's lawyer doesn't rack up $6 million <laughs> in legal bills, I don't but this so. guy does not come cheap. This guy is a legal eagle. Yep. He charges top buck here. So, Richard, Richard Peck is one yeah. of the top lawyers in B.C. All right, it's Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry is my guest. Phone lines are open. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898, toll-free on your cell. John calling from Port Moody. Hey, John. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm good. good. Go ahead. Good. Um, no, I think it's a little sleazy to the uh, taxpayers of Surrey. I don't, feel, I don't live there, but I, I just feel this guy was out doing a, his own personal business, going grocery shopping. He wasn't doing government work, and uh, he lied outright. Uh, that, that shouldn't be paid. Well, for. I mean, the um, you know, a judge is going to decide that. Like, McCallum is innocent until you're proven guilty, like anyone else in Canada. Okay, so we'll, we'll see what happens in court. But McCallum may also argue that in challenging these these uh, people with this trying to get this petition was about a, a public policy. Well, that sure he, he will. That he's heavily invested in, which right. is about the future of the RCMP, the future of policing in Surrey. So, just because it didn't happen at City Hall doesn't mean he was necessarily not engaged in uh, his civic duties. No, I'm sure that's what he will argue, that he is arguing that a local police force is going to be better for the city of Surrey. It's something that he campaigned on. It's mm -hmm. city of Surrey policy. And he was also challenging whether uh, the people collecting the signatures on the petition in the parking lot, whether they were legally able to be there. Now, mm -hmm. they say they were. They were allowed to be there. They had permission to be there. He was challenging them, saying, you're, yeah. you're not allowed to do this. Yeah. Okay, so that's where he would argue that he this was his civic duty, is what he would say, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. so I think that'll be his argument. You know, let's go to Joe on the line in Burnaby. Hey, Joe. Hi, guys. Uh, Hi. My mid-20s uh, uh, child living in New York City got her booster yesterday. When I'm over 60, had my second shot in February, so I'm 10 months into this. When's the province going to step up like everybody else is? So it's been, how long has it been since your second shot? Ten months. Ten months. So you should have had your booster. Yeah, you should be getting your booster. Um, it's supposed to be six to eight months, so I'm not sure how why. Old, how old are you? Uh, 61. 61, okay. Well, how did you get your second dose so early? right now. How did you get your second dose so early? I have a parent in care. Ah, okay. 
Yeah, you should be getting your booster before now. And it's interesting, there's pressure now on governments to really start um, escalating or expediting the booster shots. Yeah. Uh, other jurisdictions are doing that. I wouldn't be surprised if we do that in BC. Would you recommend that Joe like call the government's immunization line? Yeah, call to the check on call that? get registered. Yeah. Um, get get registered um, yeah. and check that out because I think and or if you've got a family physician, go through them as it's, well. It's worth checking because you know ten months. I think you probably should have received that invite by now. Six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight is the number. Star ninety eight ninety eight on your cell. Jonathan in Port Moody. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, how are you doing? Just quick, guys. We are trying to do the right thing. We're going to drive through the state going up to the interior. We're going to, uh, and there's just some questions I have about that whole thing with uh, the arrive can and stuff. I put all the information in. It doesn't seem so clear. I just want to know also when we're coming back, can we take high potential coming back? Thanks, guys. You, you broke up there at the what, end. What did you say at the end? Oh, uh, when we can we come back through Highway 3 if it's essential? Yeah, because if you're like, because then you're returning, you're returning home at that point, right? Right. Yeah. yeah so I, I wondered the same thing. Like, let's yeah. say you drive through the states, you go through Washington State to get to the interior. Yeah, and you're could you tell? Home. Could you tell the police? Well, I'm driving home now, so I'm allowed to go on Highway Three. Can that you? may very well be. You're supposed to be able to get to your primary residence. Yeah. Um. So again, it, that may qualify for. Sen- you can go on the on the ministry website. And I invite you to do this. And there is a list of what's considered essential and what's not considered essential when it comes to driving highways. And it's a pretty detailed list. Yeah, I'm not, but I believe returning to your principal residence would be I considered so. essential travel. Uh, star 9898 on your cell. We got Mark calling from Mexico. Hey, Mark. Hey, guys. Love your show. But uh, just wondering, you guys keep saying that he could go to jail for this with a special prosecutors. And we got guys who are getting off. We're having hidden cameras watching girls and everything else. Why don't we just move on to a different story and see what happens? Uh, okay, okay. I'm not sure. What, what are, you, are you talking about, McCallum? Who are you talking about? McCallum. So what, what's your point about McCallum? What are you saying? Well, we just you guys are doing a lot of assumptions over stuff that's probably never going to come to light. It's just going to get thrown out, and we're wasting all this taxpayers' money for a simple charge that doesn't even stand up these days. So you, don't, so you don't think they even should have charged him? No, I don't. Just, okay. You know, because there's other guys that are doing worse crimes that are getting off, and we're, we're spending too much money on something that's just not worth it. Okay. Yeah, well, one of the criticisms of the special prosecutor system is that it does uh, put those charged in a different light that they do they bend over backwards to ensure that person is charged to show there's integrity in the independence of the judicial system if it was a normal it was just an average person would they have been charged with a crime sometimes politicians are held at a higher level of accountability or senior civil servants are as well than just as the there's also an average job. There, there's also a charge approval process though right it has to meet a couple of tests it has One to meet, is, uh, is it in the public interest right and is there a substantial likelihood of conviction Right. And again, uh, public figures are seen, I think, uh, held to a different means test as well. What, like, is it in the public interest? Charging a politician sometimes is seen as in the poli- uh, public interest, whereas someone who's not a politician, charging them is not seen in the public interest. 